You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ezekiel. That's where we will be at this morning, beginning in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28 is where we're going to be starting. Y'all, it's been a crazy few months, right? Yeah, a few of you are like, yeah, a few of you are like, yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, let's, I mean, just, 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 let's just recount for just a little bit. Not, I mean, I, January and February seemed semi-normal. Like, you know, I mean, like there was kind of news that there was this virus spreading in China. And I remember sitting inside Thomas's office as a Wednesday, me and my wife and Thomas were sitting inside his office and I said, man, what are we going to do if it comes here? And he says, we're going to be ready. You know, we're going to be ready. And I was like, well, you know, at that time I was like, ah, What's it going to do when it gets here? And then all of a sudden, like March the 18th, I'll never remember. I'll remember that date forever in my memory. Bam, everything shut down. I mean, the first thing that I remember shutting down was Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz getting the coronavirus. And then they shut down the NBA, like right there. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And next thing you know, everything just starts shutting down. And then all of a sudden, just job loss just starts happening. Like, I mean, we lost, I mean, 44 million jobs in our economy, just like that, just gone. And then just all of a sudden, there's just this chaotic environment where nobody knew what the next day was going to bring. And it just kind of seemed that even our own government didn't know what the next day was going to bring. So one side's talking this way and one side's talking this way. And then it's just like, we don't know what's going on and we don't know who to trust, right? That's what happens in the middle of chaotic environments. All right, when there's no order, chaos comes, and then we, we honestly don't know what to do. And then out of nowhere comes the George Floyd murder. Out of nowhere comes the George Floyd murder. So now we got people who have been trapped at home, people who have lost their jobs, people who have been consuming a 24-hour news cycle, nonstop, and it was like a powder keg explode. It was just like a powder keg exploded. John Mark Comer, I was listening to him the other day. He's one of my favorite pastors. He's um, from the Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. He said it, was, it is like we are living in the impact of the Great Depression in the 1930s, the racial tension in the 1950s and 60s, and then just throw an unprecedented viral pandemic on top of that. That is what we are in the midst of, and it's completely unprecedented. I was listening to Jocko Willink the other day, and if you're not familiar with Jocko, he is a former Navy SEAL, now kind of like a leadership guru. He just simply said, you had all this quarantine shutdown. You had unprecedented job loss, and then you had all this racial tension. It was simply an explosion that what just happened, a perfect storm of chaos. And now we're halfway through 2020. Congratulations, you made it. So let's hear us to the second half being better, but let's just go ahead and assume that it's not going to be. Let's go into it and assume that it's going to continue to be chaotic. We don't know what school is going to be like in the fall. My wife, we, were, we went to the beach this past just few days, and on Friday, like, she was like, hey, grab Brooks, I got to listen to this press conference from the Board of Education, and they literally said a whole bunch of nothing, if we're being honest. Because nobody knows, Right? They're like, hey, we're going to push it back to the districts. We're going to do this. And nobody knows what is going to happen in the fall. Nobody knows. And really what this shows is that we ultimately have no control of anything. We have no control of anything. Our God is 100% sovereign over all of this. And in this very unusual 
providence, what are we to make of this chaos? What are we to make of all this? What are we to do when everything is falling apart around us? Well, this is where Ezekiel comes in. This is where Ezekiel comes in. If you go to 2 Kings 24, verses 10 through 16, you can read of the exile that Ezekiel was a part of. He was one of the few thousand who were exiled to Babylon at this point. He was stripped of his homeland. He was taken to a foreign land. And then that was when God showed up. That was when God showed up to Ezekiel and called him to this message. You see, in the midst of chaotic situations, in the midst of crises, was when God would raise up a prophet with a message for his people. That was when God would give a message to a specific man to a specific time period. And we can learn from this, brothers and sisters, because we have a message that is meant to proclaim in the midst of this chaotic situation. God has raised us up for such a time as this. Our call is simply this, to be obedient in the midst of chaos. In the midst of this crazy, wild current cultural moment your job is to be obedient in the midst of chaos let's read god's word together starting in verse 28 let the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain so was the appearance of brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of god and when i saw it i fell on my face and heard the voice of one speaking And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I have gave you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it was writing on the front and the back, and there was written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was, my, it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Will you pray with me? Father God, just in the midst of this chaotic situation, let us be obedient. Father, let us be sharpened. Let us be honed. But God, most of all, let us see your son through this text in Ezekiel. Let us see that we were dead in our sin. That we were a rebellious house. But God, Jesus came and descended into the midst of our chaos. He was obedient in the midst of it. He was in control over all of it. 
so that we could be made alive in Him. Father, as we live by the Spirit, just let us just seek out Your Word. Let us seek out its power. And I pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of background about Ezekiel before we continue on. Ezekiel uh, was a book that happened during the Babylonian exile. If you're not familiar with the Babylonian exile, you can go back to the kings. You can go back to uh, read about all of that, what happened. Essentially, the Babylonians advanced, took over Israel, uh, took over the northern kingdom, and then they eventually took over the southern kingdom. And Ezekiel was a part of the southern kingdom bunch that got captured. They were taken to Babylon, taken far away from the temple, taken far away from God. And on top of that, there was all these other world players coming in. Egypt was trying to get in on it. Uh, just a couple, of hundred years later, the Assyrians would come in and conquer the Babylonians. It was a wild time, y'all. It was crazy. It was chaos. There was not a lot of control in the midst of this situation. And this is what's so mind-blowing. God is present in the midst of this, which is the first point. The presence of God gives us hope as we are obedient in the midst of chaos. Ezekiel was not in the temple. He was not walking in the midst of the temple. He was not walking around uh, in this moment of religious zealousness. No, he was simply in exile, and God appeared to him in the midst of exile, in the midst of this pagan nation. Somewhere that was far from God, somewhere that God was kind of in the back of their minds, if you come to think about it, but God was there. He was there. He was present in the midst of this situation. How many times do we think that in the midst of our lives, in the craziness, in the chaos, I mean, even pre-pandemic, even post-pandemic, man, this is too crazy, and it feels like God is not there. It feels like he, he's just not there. He feels like he's just out of reach. Brothers and sisters, this text tells us, not only is he present, he is involved. He's in the midst of it. He is moving and working things with his almighty hand. God was in control of this situation, and he called Ezekiel out of this. And as, I mean, I love how Ezekiel describes it. He says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud. He keeps saying likeness, like the appearance of this. He was literally without words about what he was seeing. And if you really want to, like, get really deep into it, go back and read all of Ezekiel 1. It is wild, y'all. It is so wild when you read Ezekiel 1, the vision that he is seeing, what God revealed to him, and ultimately this compels him to go out and proclaim the message. This compels him to go out and proclaim the message, as we'll see in Ezekiel chapter 2. But also, let's look at Ezekiel's reaction. When you look at Ezekiel's reaction, he says this, And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. He fell on his face. He fell on his face in reverence and worship, and in all reality, probably a little bit of fear. This is very similar to what we see all throughout the Bible when somebody comes into the presence of the glory of God. You can see this in Isaiah chapter 6, when he goes into that throne room, when he, God calls him and he sees this vision of the throne room of God, and Isaiah says, Woe is me of unclean lips. You see this with John in the book of Revelation. When he sees the risen Lord, he says, I fell over like I was dead. It was this moment of just reverent and awe and fear. Mark Dever says this about this passage. 
new knowledge of God did not make him feel more casual about God at all. Ezekiel was awed by this vision of God. The casual happiness that we often regard as the height of spiritual intimacy with God is never pictured in the Bible. I'm going to repeat that one more time. The casual happiness we often regard as the height of spiritual intimacy with God is never pictured in the Bible. Every vision of God in the Bible is awesome and inspires reverence. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to be honest with you. When was the last time we walked into a church and we worshipped and we were in awe and reverence? When was the last time that we just sat there in awe of what God is doing? We should be broken that we have made emotionalism the pursuit of our worship. This high that we chase, this mountaintop experience that we chase, and then we just walk around feeling good about ourselves. Father, we repent to you for not coming to you and seeing you as awesome and as in reverence. So what does all this matter, Tyler? What does all this matter in the midst of this craziness? The first thing is this, is that God is present in the midst of our chaos. He is present with us today, but ultimately we see his presence fulfilled in the, the coming of the Son, the death of the Son, the resurrection of the Son, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. This is what John 1.14 says. And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. The Greek word there literally means tabernacled. He literally came in and took on flesh. Just like the tabernacle in the Old Testament where the presence of God was dwelling, Jesus came and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see the presence of God in our chaos because the Son descended into our chaos. The Son descended here to be on earth, to be present among us. And through His death on the cross, through His resurrection, He has made a way for us. And in John 14, He promises that He will send His Spirit to live within us. And now that His Spirit is living within us, we have the presence of God to guide us through the the chaos. To compel us to be obedient. To give us hope, brothers and sisters. Because we trust in the Son who is our high priest. Who takes us our appeals to the Father. God is present even here. He is present in the midst of your current situation. He is present in the midst of your chaotic life. All you have to do is seek Him. All you have to do is seek Him second thing that we can learn from this short point is to properly worship God, we must draw into His presence. All right, so if God is present with us, we must not just draw into His presence with kind of this lackadaisical, just this, this attitude of, eh, I'm going to church. Yeah, I skip prayer time every now and then. Yeah, I don't pray enough as I should. We should draw into His presence in awe and wonder. That's what Tony Evans says about this. The God most of us worship is simply too small. The God of most Christians seems anemic, weak, and limited. 
He does not have the capacity to make a difference to turn things around. The God most of us serve resembles more the flickering of a candle than the burning of the noonday sun. Is this the God we worship? I pray not, brothers and sisters. I pray that we worship the God of the Scriptures, not the man-made God that we fashion Him to be. Last week's passage in Romans 9 completely blows up this idea of a big man and a little God. It completely blows it up because what we see is that God is in control and His presence should give us hope because He is in control of this situation. And His presence gives us hope as we are obedient in the midst of this life. So now we move on to chapter 2. The call of God's mission compels us to be obedient in the midst of chaos. So not only does the presence of God give us hope in the midst of it to be obedient, now it compels us to obedience in the midst of chaos. Chapter 2 of Ezekiel recounts the missionary call of God upon Ezekiel's life. Just, it just blows my mind, just reading this passage. Because most of the time when we think of a missionary call, we think of something, somebody going off into a foreign land. We think of someone who's going off like a Dr. Linda in the midst of Kazakhstan, or going off to Russia, or China, or some other foreign nation. But listen to where God calls Ezekiel. He says to Ezekiel, Son of man, in the Hebrew, Ben Adam, which means son of Adam, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. So the Spirit enters Ezekiel. That's one of my favorite things about Ezekiel, just the, just the Holy Spirit that is just traced throughout the passage and throughout this entire book. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. He is sending him to his own people, brothers and sisters. He is sending him to his own people group. These people literally had one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. They thought they had it all together. They thought that they were the people of God. But in all reality, they were separated from God because of their transgressions. They just had this religiosity that covered them on the outside. But on the inside, they were dead. They were dead on the inside. They have rebelled against God. They have transgressed against Him. Now, not only that, but this, like this missionary call just doesn't sound that great. Keep going. Not, they won't listen to Him. This is what God continues to tell Ezekiel. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. That doesn't sound too comfortable. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they, a, they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Listen to y'all. Going to your own people is a tough ministry. It is a tough ministry. I would argue that it's probably one of the toughest ministries. I know this because, I mean, that I, I've grown up here. I literally used to, and I still do, I pray over map and say, God, send me wherever you want me to. And it's almost like God's like, oh, great, stay home. 
grown up in this area for 27 years, and that does not make ministry any easier. A lot of people, like, they say, man, you got that local boy advantage. I know where things are, and I know people, all right? That's about all I got. Does not make ministry any easier. And you know this. You know this. Think about the times that you've shared the gospel with some a complete stranger versus when you shared the gospel with your family, with your extended family, with your co-workers. Now, just imagine that God called you to this mission, which he did. But let's just say that God called you to this mission, and he said, Jerry Albert, listen, I'm calling you to these people, to your own people. I'm calling you to the city of Gadsden. But your ministry is not going to be successful at all. They're not going to listen to you. How many of us are going to literally go out to the missions to the, to the mission table out here and sign up for that mission trip? How many of us are going to say, listen, I am going to be obedient even though they aren't going to listen to me? That doesn't sound like a successful mission, a successful ministry. Y'all, I mean, I'm just going to just share a little bit of just a personal testimony with you. Like with last summer, we were at camp this week. All right, this week we were at camp. And now, like, I just looked at Olivia. Olivia's like, because oh, we love camp. We love the missions aspect of camp. And last year we went to Asheville, North Carolina. Now, if you've never been to Asheville, North Carolina, I encourage you to go to Asheville, North Carolina so you can experience it. You are not that far out of the Bible Belt. I would even fact that you are in the Bible Belt. You were still in the South. You're south of the Mason-Dixon line. That is not like anywhere else. It's a very liberal city. It's a very open-minded city. And as I'm walking down the street, there's some Jehovah's Witnesses setting up camp. And I'll never forget, I walk back and I tell our, I tell our girl that, we, that she was kind of overseeing our missions effort from huge camps. And I said, hey, listen, there's some Jehovah's Witnesses down there. And she said, oh, why don't you take some students and show them how to witness the Jehovah's Witnesses? And I was like, yes, I will go. All right. And I went and I'll never forget. It started pouring down rain just as we got to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So they got trapped underneath a tree with me. And so like we sat there and talked about the gospel. Y'all, just a few short weeks later, I was at Collinsville Trade Day, which if you've never been to Collinsville Trade Day, I encourage you, please go experience it just for once in your life. And while you're there, get a corn dog, all right? Please, it's incredible. Top 10 Alabama experience. I'm walking down through, and every time I've been to Collinsville Trade Day, there's a table set up in one of the middle lanes of Jehovah's Witnesses sitting there. And they're passing out their literature. And they're telling people about a Jesus... That is not the Jesus of the Bible. And I walked right by him. I had all the time in the world and I walked right by him. What's different? Nothing. I was just at home. There's a chance I was going to see those people again. And so I was more compelled out of fear to not share the gospel with them. Now, one thing I love about Thomas since he's been here is that he's really encouraged the staff to get involved in personal evangelism. And that's been something that has really ramped us up. I mean, we are praying for one another in our personal evangelistic efforts. But even then, knowing that people are praying with me and that we are holding one another accountable, there are still times where I have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone that I know and I am not obedient. Brothers and sisters, God has given us this call. 
He has given us this call to share the gospel. And listen, a lot of us in that quarantine season, we were trapped at home. We were stuck. Did you share the gospel with your neighbors? Did we speak hope to our neighbors? The problem is, is that we think that in order to share the gospel, we have to be the next Billy Graham. We have to be the next, you know, D.L. Moody. We have to be all these big name people. God is not calling you to be the next Billy Graham, brothers and sisters. He's not calling you to be something that you are not. He is calling you to be obedient. This is the call to Ezekiel. Your ministry is not going to be successful, but take this word to them and tell them that this is what, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. So let me ask you this. If I were to say, hey, listen, we're going to put your Facebook feed on this screen right here, and we're going to scroll through your, through your Facebook feed, could I see the gospel there? If I were to say, hey, listen, let me follow you around and let me see what you are doing and let me hear your conversations, would I hear Jesus rolling out of your tongue? Would I see you being obedient to, God, to God's call to share the gospel with the people that you are around? Would I see it? Would your brothers and sisters here at this church see it? You are called to be obedient in the midst of chaos because God's presence has compelled us to do so. And now we have this idea that now that God has called us to this mission, here is the thing that we need to all realize. You were once a rebellious people if you were in Christ. You were once dead in your sins is what Ephesians tells us. You could not save yourself but somebody was obedient somebody was obedient and they proclaimed the gospel of jesus christ to you that you were dead in your sins and then that you cannot save yourself you cannot keep god's law perfectly and jesus came and did that for you he died for you he was the perfect sacrifice for you he was resurrected on your behalf and now we have the holy spirit that dwells within us and then on that day that you were saved the holy spirit came into you he awakened your dead heart and you believed and you believed on that day what's to say if you were obedient that that same thing can't happen to the most hardened person to the gospel in your life God is not calling you to a successful ministry. He is calling you to be obedient. How many of y'all have ever seen the movie Dunkirk? Anybody ever seen the movie Dunkirk? You ever seen that movie? I would encourage you to watch it. If you want to borrow it, I have it at home. Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors, so anything the guy drops, I go watch it. Dunkirk is one of my favorite movies because it's Christopher Nolan and it's history. Okay, like that's just like, yes, for me. Now, if you're not familiar with the Dunkirk story, Dunkirk was an invasion by the British to try to get into mainland Europe, and it absolutely flopped. It was an epic failure of all proportions, and the Germans were picking them off like nobody's business. There were planes flying over these British people, these British soldiers on the beach, which was a bunch of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids dropping bombs on sitting ducks, and they're advancing panzer tanks coming right at them, and they are stuck on the beach. 
And the British government did something that was completely unprecedented. They made a call to all civilian ships. Every civilian ship, get ready, get your boats ready, and sail across the English Channel, which is pretty choppy waters if you're familiar, and go pick up our boys. Go pick them up. Absolutely mind-blowing. And they call it the miracle of Dunkirk because it worked. Because it worked. Minimal loss of life. The entire British army could have just had a death blow. But because of the leadership of Britain, they said, you are to be obedient in the midst of this chaos and you are to go save them. Brothers and sisters, you are to be obedient in the midst of this chaos and you are to go give them the gospel that can save them. That is your call, brothers and sisters. That was Ezekiel's call. To go and give them the word of the Lord. Go give your neighbors and your friends the word of the Lord. Lastly, the power of God's word gives us courage and power to be obedient in the midst of chaos. So not only does the presence of God give us hope to be obedient, the call of God's mission compels us to be obedient. Now the power of God's word gives us courage to be obedient in the midst of chaos. In Ezekiel 3.10, he says this, and he spread it before me, and it had writing on the... Oh, 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 3.10, I'm sorry, we went to 2.10, that was the wrong verse. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. All my words that I shall speak to you. He's essentially saying, Ezekiel, listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. Take them all to heart. Internalize what I'm telling you. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell where? In you. Richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Brothers and sisters, when we internalize the word of God, it leads to the word flowing out of us. When we consume this word, it leads to it flowing out of us. And this word is where we can find God's presence because he speaks to us here. This word compels us to be obedient and it gives us the power because through the word, the spirit can awaken us to what God is saying to us. So much so that God made sure that Ezekiel eternalized this word, that he fed it to him. He fed it to him. One of the craziest visions, I just imagine this hand reaching out and saying, here, eat this. Eat this. When I was in... I think it was 10th grade, 11th grade, 10th grade, 10th grade. Yes, it was 10th grade. I was in Miss Starling's class at at Etowah High School. I'll never forget this. One of my buddies got caught cheating on a test. He had a cheat sheet sitting underneath his paper. So they called the football coach, who was the brand new football coach at our school. Not a lot of us knew him, all right? And this guy comes into the class, and he takes my buddy, who's 6'3", cornerback on the football team, takes him up to the front of the class, and he says, all right, y'all, I got a lesson for you. This right here is a cheat sheet. Let me tell you what you're supposed to do with a cheat sheet. You're supposed to study beforehand so you don't need a cheat sheet. You're supposed to eat the knowledge. And this man literally balled this piece of paper up and he ate it. What? <laughs> like, like what in 
the world? <laughs> this dude just ate a piece of paper in the front of the class. And he says, mmm, knowledge. I feel smarter already. All right, Chris, come with me, buddy. And they walk out of the room. Now, that's just etched into my mind because I'm like, okay, this dude just literally ate a piece of paper. Now, I can tell you all kinds of crazy stories about this football coach later on if you want to come talk to me. But this guy just ate a piece of paper. But in all reality, what he was saying, it wasn't necessarily untrue. We have to consume what is in front of us, especially when it comes to God's word. This is what Jesus says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is what it means. And listen to what he tells us, what Ezekiel writes. God feeds him this word, and it was as sweet as honey. Y'all, I love honey, all right? My wife changed my world when she put honey on chicken minis, all right? Like the Lord's chicken with the Lord's nectar, and it was incredible. I encourage you, go get chicken minis tomorrow morning and try it. Honey is sweet to the taste. It is good. Has the enemy lied to you and told you that this word is bitter? Has the enemy lied to you and told you that this word is bitter? Isn't it mind-blowing that we can memorize all the stats of our favorite baseball players, all the stats of our favorite football players, every number on the Alabama Crimson Tide or the Auburn Tigers, that of all of our players, but we struggle to memorize God's word? Isn't that just mind-blowing? And it should be. But our minds are so just, just wrapped up in sin that we don't take it in because we are being lied to that this word is bitter, that it's going to take up time, that, man, we got to get caught up on our Netflix shows. i got to scroll through my Facebook feed. i got to keep up with what's going on. i got to watch Fox News. We believe all of these things. Brothers and sisters, this word is as sweet as honey. It fills us. And as Derek Thomas points out in his commentary on this passage, the Lord was teaching Ezekiel to be really effective for God in our lives. His word has to become a part of us. So how will you be obedient? How will you seek His presence? By the power of God's word. Jesus tells us this, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And let's just go ahead and jump into Psalm 119.11, which is a VBS Bible verse. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Brothers and sisters, let that not just be just a memory verse. Let that verse be a prayer for our lives, that we have stored up God's word in our heart so that we may not sin against him. Dawson Trotman, who's a pastor, said this about every disciple he made. We taught him to fill the quiver of his heart with the arrows of God's word. So that the Spirit of God could lift an arrow from his heart and place it to the bow of his lips and pierce a heart for Christ. That is what we are to do as disciples, brothers and sisters, to fill our quivers with God's word so that the Spirit of God can work through his word and pierce a heart for Christ. And as we move, as we do this, let us be like Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel says 177 times throughout his book. I didn't count. I got that from a commentary. I can't count that high. But anyway, Ezekiel says this more than 177 times. The word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says to you. 
He said that 177 times. This is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord came to me. This is our calling, brothers and sisters, to go out, to be obedient, to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the gospel. This is our call. This is your calling. This is your job every day as a believer. I had a friend of mine, when he was in college, he was struggling with what to do with his life, and he went to his college pastor, and he said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have a major. I don't know what to do. And the pastor said, okay, let's open up to Matthew 28. That is what you're supposed to be doing. Now find somewhere that makes you good at doing that. That is our first and most important job, to make disciples of all nations. And then Jesus literally says, teach others to observe everything I have commanded you. We are to go and proclaim the word. That is our first and ultimate duty. But this is the thing. We are tempted to make it platable. We are tempted to make it easy. We are tempted to leave parts out. If you don't believe me, just look at... (laughs) There's a great movie that's on Netflix. Go watch The American Gospel. Go home and watch it. Just go home, take two hours. It's a great documentary. And watch how we in the West have made the gospel so easily attainable that we've changed the gospel message. We have changed the gospel message. In 2013, the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, now there's two Presbyterian churches. All right, let's make this distinction really quick. There's the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America, conservative, theologically sound. Then there's the PCUSA. That is liberal, not theologically sound. All right? Rainbow Presbyterian in town. They are Presbyterian Church of America. All right? They are conservative. They are theologically sound. I just want to make that distinction. In 2013, they took the lyrics of In Christ Alone and they sought the Gettys, who wrote the song, to change the lyrics in their hymnal. Listen to what they said. The original lyrics say this On that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That is the biblical view of the atonement. The Presbyterian Church of the United States of America said this. They wanted to substitute the words that on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. It's not a wrong statement at all. But notice what they did. They removed the wrath because they didn't want to sing about the wrath of God. They didn't want to sing about the atonement in that way, that the Father poured out his wrath on the Son so that we don't have to experience it. That essentially the cross was just an example of love. Which it was. But they changed it to make it more easier to consume. When you do that, you're no longer proclaiming the gospel. You're proclaiming the message of yourself. You're no longer proclaiming the biblical Jesus. You are proclaiming a message of yourself. Here is the thing, brothers and sisters. If we are to be hopeful in the midst of chaos, if we are to be obedient in the midst of chaos, if we are to go out by God's powerful word and courage in the midst of chaos and be obedient, we cannot, we cannot change the gospel. We simply cannot. Our confidence has to be found in the cross of Christ. It is the solid foundation of Calvary which compels us To proclaim the gospel. We do not change it. We teach it. We preach it. We share the whole counsel of God's word. And the spirit does the work. That is what we are to do. 
Our job is to be obedient in the midst of chaos and simply say, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. This is the gospel. So as we just look back at the first half of this crazy year, you realize that there's probably going to be more craziness on the way. Let us realize that the gospel is what our world desperately needs. It needs believers who are seeking God's presence. It needs believers who are compelled by God's mission to be obedient in the midst of this chaos as Ezekiel was. And it needs believers who are eating God's word. Not living by bread alone, but by being obedient obedient and tasting the word that is as sweet as honey and that they are compelled by the power of that word to go to their neighbors to go to their cities to go to their country to go to their world and not be fearful of racial tension not be fearful of a government not be fearful of a virus not be fearful of anything that can come our way and say this is what the Lord says you were sinful you were sinful everyone in this room was sinful and you need a savior and that savior is jesus christ that savior is jesus christ this savior came and lived the life that you could not he lived the life that you could not and he satisfied god's righteous commands he was wrongly murdered on your behalf He was the Lamb that was spotless, that came, that fulfilled the wrath of God, that was satisfied the wrath of God so that you do not have to experience it. And on the third day, He was resurrected. He defeated death. And though we still taste the sting of death, brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back one day to defeat death once and for all. And then the Spirit will go and the Spirit will do the work. Your call is to be obedient in the midst of chaos. Will you do it? Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for allowing us just to gather to hear the proclaiming of your word. God, I pray just that every time we gather together, that every time we are in the quiet place, seeking your face. That God, that we will be obedient. That we will be in awe and wonder of you. God, I pray that we will seek you, be obedient to your call, and that we will be just compelled by the power of God's word, as Ezekiel was. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.